0: Today, we're diving deep into client management, time management, and all things senior developer with the Director of Technology of Ackland Avenue, Carlos Solarsono. Let's get rolling. Software runs our world. It's at the center of everything. And you, a passionate software developer, are at the epicenter. The world needs you to be the best you can be. Welcome to the Driven Developer Podcast. I'm your host, Byron Summerdahl. I'm driven to develop and code because coding saved my life. In a few short months, I went from floundering junior to sought-after senior and on to architect and eventually CTO. All the things I've learned through the years, I want to give back to you. Join me and a new guest every week as we share the tools and skills you need to become a driven developer and make a more meaningful impact on our world. Hey everybody, today I'm here with Carlos Solorsano from Tegucigalpa, Honduras. I, I really appreciate you being with me today. Carlos, uh, you're a good friend. Uh, we've worked together and I'm really excited about what we are going to talk about today. So uh, before we get moving on uh with with the content let's hear about who you are introduce yourself
1: please hi everybody well my name is uh, carlos Solorzano, like baron said um i've been doing techno you know coding probably since i was 10 years old um what got me into programming for example was video games i got an an nes system when i was really young and I wanted to know how games were made, so that led me down a road of researching game development and eventually going into a career in as a as an IT student and uh, at a local university. I still dabble with making games on my spare time as a hobby. Uh, here in Honduras, the game scene is not as developed as in the states, so. Um, it was really hard finding like-minded individuals to start something. Uh, now it's changing. I, I'm hearing a lot of, of things that are being done and just in a small gaming company locally. Uh, but I'm guessing right now I'm just tired. <laughs> uh, to. Uh, I, I wouldn't be able to keep up with the pace uh, of, of, of starting over as a game developer, but I still dabble on it. So you're dabbling
0: in what? Tell me about something that you've been doing lately.
1: Uh, For example, lately I've been using uh, this uh, game engine called Godot that it's based, it's code or script, it's syntax on Python. So it's really intuitive to to work with it. And you can create 2D and 3D games for multiple platforms, web. Very nice. uh, Actually, um, with a friend of mine, even though I double, um, we created a prototype for a game based on his dad's stories. He, his dad, his dad was an author of kid books here in the US, and my friend got uh, qualified to go to to um, Germany to showcase the video game uh, as part of the multimedia. Uh, that he's bringing into the book of his, bringing to life his dad's stories. Uh, So my small prototype game is going to be showcase, uh, international level at least. (laughs) Go,
0: Carlos. So uh, what was the tech that you said? It was a GoDot or something like that? GoDot,
1: yeah. GoDot. How do you spell that? G-O-D-O-T. Go. Dot.
0: Got it. And and is there, is there a website?
1: Go.engine.org.
0: Go.engine.org. If anybody else wants to check that out, that's pretty cool. So it's based on Python. If you've already got Python skills, then you could probably jump right into Go. You got started pretty early. How early did you get started with programming?
1: Yeah, it should be around 11, 10 to 12 years old. Um, my dad used to bring his computer from work. Uh, he had one of those uh, Compact computers, uh, laptop, like one of the some first laptop models. So he used to bring the computer home, and he will just run some games for me because you know I was a kid. I wanted to play games on the computer, but for some reason he got the source code of the game. He they were in QBASIC, he, and whenever he just told me the instructions: go into the game, um, press F five to run it, and that's it. One day, as before, I was. Before I pressed F5, I started reading the code and seeing what it said. And I was able to actually modify the game after a couple of months just using QBasics basic help like with the help menu and just going through the documentation of what the different commands were. I was able to modify the game and make it do stuff that it wasn't supposed to do.
0: Oh yeah, you know, a lot of people don't realize where F5 came from. Like still to this day, a lot of platforms or ide's use f5 as like the the standard button to press to start something or start start debugging or publish or something like that and it it really goes back to the days that you and i grew up in because i also grew up in in quick basic uh 4.5 if i remember correctly yeah yeah um where you could take a basic a a program written in basic and and basically create an executable (laughs) Yeah. So cool. And QBasic before that, but like it was always F5. So you'd, you'd press F5 in pretty much every after that, after, after that, every IDE that came along, it was F5, F5 every time.
1: Exactly. Yeah. A
0: lot of people yeah, started with change. basic. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Awesome. So I, I made my first uh, several hundred off of quick basic. Uh That's, that's been a long time ago. In fact, Weird, weird and funny and scary story, Carlos. One of my quick basic apps that I wrote uh, back, I'm going to say 25 years ago, is still in use oh in man. a store. <laughs> yeah, I went into the store and um, it's a clothing store in my town and I walked up to the register and I just kind of craned my neck around to see because I, I, I remember selling this software to them long time ago. Um, craned my neck around and yep, Sure, sure enough, there it is. Same screen, same software that I wrote and it's still in use.
1: Oh man, I wonder who, who they've been contacting for keeping the executable viable because you know, with all the changes in software platforms throughout the years, your code was probably 16-bit and how would they make it run in a 64-bit environment nowadays, yeah.
0: Who knows and I do not want them calling me for support. <laughs> I did not give them, give them my phone number.
1: Yeah, and don't mention the name of the, of the store either. Because
0: Yeah, yeah, I won't. I will track it, you I'll down. keep it a secret here. Yeah, yeah, they, they def, definitely need to upgrade. But uh, anyway, Quick Basic was powerful stuff. So, Carlos, tell me about what excites you about the future of programming or software development in general.
1: Well, one of the things that excites me and frightens me at the same time is quantum computing. Like, Ooh. I, I, I've been reading up on it, and, and well, they're not readily accessible, but companies like uh, IBM, they've just released one where you can pay a subscription and, and submit some jobs to it, and it will calculate stuff for you.
0: Like, how can you apply that, like, in real life?
1: what What can you actually do with that? Well, it might be a bad way to apply it, but you could, use a quantum computer in the future to decrypt any any encrypted uh, thing we have right now with our current level of encryption in, in seconds. Ooh. Like, like, Ooh OK. <laughs> so once quantum computers get strong enough to and readily available enough, we will have to rethink all of our security.
0: Ooh. Oh man, yeah, let's let's um <laughs> let's not let's stave that <laughs> off for a while. Is there anything we can do to stop quantum computing from from coming to the forefront? Oh my goodness. I, I would hate to have to go back and redo all of that stuff.
1: Well, the thing is that with quantum computing, you get quantum communication too. And that's really, really neat because that's true wireless communication where you have two pair atoms when one where one does the Replicates what the other is doing, no matter where in the universe they're placed. So you could have instant communication from here to the moon, for example. No delays, nor nothing. Oh. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, I can, I can see that that might, uh, that might be a problem for me when somebody's uh, asking me to do something like a chore that I don't want to do, and I'll have no more excuses. Uh, yeah, I won't be no, able to say I didn't hear it anymore.
1: There's no delay. Like You won't be Ugh. able to fake it. <laughs>
0: But yeah, from here to the moon and yeah, that, that sounds that sounds pretty cool.
1: Yeah, right now I think uh, they have successfully tested 40k, 40 kilometers.
0: So it's kind of like a double-edged sword then. I guess if you um if you if somebody's breaking into your security using quantum computing, at least you have quantum communication so that you can get some word out to the people that are getting broken
1: into. And and the thing is that if you think about it, you won't have a wire to tap into anymore or stuff like that. You will actually need to have physical access to the machine. Or or uh but then again you need to the whole the whole spectrum of technologies that we use right now are gonna be rebuilt at some point from scratch due to quantum computing. That's why it's exciting and at the yeah. same time it's yeah, thriving. by then
0: Mm. by then you and you and I are going to be old and gray grayer right yeah, yeah and um and all all the young developers are going to have to deal with this uh this amazing crazy uh tech that's coming out so
1: yeah
0: yeah that's why this podcast exists because I want to prepare those people to do the, ve- the best possible job they could do so uh just so that, so that they don't create a world that's unmaintainable
1: yeah exactly
0: so, all right, confession time. <laughs> so, I want to hear about the worst thing you've ever done with code.
1: Oh, man. Well, the worst thing i would ever done with code was I was working uh, at a local pharmacy chain. And we kept getting this call of support from this specific pharmacy in the middle of nowhere where the system will just shut down like it will spit out its gut it's a, in a very ugly exception and it will just break everything. And if you were trying to do a, a sale at that moment, you'll have to start all over again and stuff like that. And it happened randomly. And when the girl that was attending the, the, the pharmacy started the program again and did exactly the same steps, it will work. So it was really frustrated trying to track down that issue. We were never able to replicate it um, in our development environment or staging. So uh, I decided to put an exception in the message. I was frustrated, and I basically said, uh, this shit broke down here. <laughs> and a couple of months later, we got a call from a very scared girl at the, at, at, at the pharmacy saying that the computer was insulting her. <laughs> and I, and and I went like, what did you do? Tell me exactly what you do. And we were able to track down that it was a really weird um, case. We had this um, stored procedure, and uh, for some reason, the load balancer was sending some of the requests to an outdated version of 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 the of the procedure. And it broke with this, with this specific um, medication that had some special considerations in the country. So they, they had to do some other calculations with it. So it was breaking. Mm-hmm. But the issue wasn't in the code. It was in the infrastructure with a low balancer and that somebody hadn't made sure that when we deployed to production, both sides were up to date. So Site A was running version 1.5, and Site B was mm. running version 1.49, something like that. So, so it, children, the moral of this story
0: is store procedures are evil.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because we had two databases, and, re- and they were replicating each other. It was way back before, you know, AWS was a thing and everything like that. So we had to maintain all of that all that infrastructure and get down into the nitty-gritty of setting, uh, side-to-side replications and stuff like that, and manual load balancing. Mm-hmm. Sounds so
0: interesting. You can tell, uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody else can tell, too, how how nice of a guy Carlos is, since the worst thing, the worst thing he can think of that he's done is putting a, a wordy dirt in, in an exception message.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, man. So uh,
0: nice, so nice.
1: <laughs> I started out in the financial world in the financial institution, and you could sent to jail if you did something bad
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I get that <laughs> carlos i I keep on hearing lots of uh different words being used to describe what we do, and I wanted to see and sometimes people have really strong opinions about the differences between these these words and i just I'm curious about what you think, maybe we can start a movement here um so I hear coder, which uh, I heard you mention that you were, you, you were a coder earlier, um, and also a developer, like a software developer. Sometimes we call ourselves programmers. Sometimes we, we call ourselves engineers. Mm-hmm. So what do you like to call yourself, and, and what, what kind of differences do you think there are in, in the meanings of
1: these words? I like to call myself a developer. Um, I think that a coder, you can be a coder without having any type of, you know, formal university education. Uh, And to be a developer, in my mind, it's not that you have to have, you know, a degree, but you should know algorithms also not only code, and sometimes you get, for example, in you buy a course, how to program Python in 10 days, and they tell you the syntax, they show you some patterns, but when you're faced with a problem you've never seen before and you have to come up with an algorithm to solve that problem, having some type of formal education in how to manage memory arrays and data structures goes a long way in in making you more effective in coming up with with these algorithms but at the end of the day what else, what matters is if you can get the job done like You can call yourself a programmer. You can call yourself a coder. You can call yourself a developer. If you cannot get that job done and deliver the requirements and give quality to your client, everything else is mute. Like it doesn't matter.
0: So it doesn't matter whether you can code, it doesn't matter whether you like stored procedures or not, it doesn't matter whether you know how to run a database. If you can't deliver solutions to problems, you might as well learn how to deliver pizza because that's really what you should be doing.
1: Exactly. Correct.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So, Carlos, I I know that that, uh, there are lots of problems that we developers face every single day. And some of those problems are better suited for somebody that has more experience because they have certain characteristics about them. Uh, A lot of times we call these people senior developers or architects, and and these are the people that we often turn to to solve some of the hardest problems. And I think that it's important that the rest of the developers, maybe we call them junior developers or mid-level developers, but anybody that's not senior, not that person that's sought out to solve those really high uh, high-stake problems, the rest of those developers need to be watching for those characteristics so that they can start implementing them. And I really believe that if they understand the goals that they have, if they can see clearly what what kind of things they should be shooting for, then they can actually start striving for those things and maybe even level up faster than they would have if they just kind of accidentally fall into some new skill or if something just kind of like the stars align and you 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 get the experience that, that teaches you this skill. So... One of the skills that we talked about earlier when we were preparing for the podcast was client management. And I know you've got some thoughts to share about client management. And so first, tell us about what you think a, a senior developer or, or what people should be shooting for to be more senior uh, has to do with client management. Like, don't, aren't we developers Are are we developers or are we uh, client managers?
1: Uh, that's one of the biggest difference between a senior and a junior developer. You can, have, you can be a really good coder, programmer, like we talked about, and never talk to a client and just have a, a specification sheet that tells you you need to do A, B, and C, and that's fine. But someone had to turn the requirements into that sheet, that A, B, and C. And being able to do that effectively it's one of the things that sets apart a senior developer because a senior developer not only does not only needs to understand the technology side, the code side, they need to understand the business side. They need to understand the why. Why is the why is this important for the client? Uh, are we doing the best that we can with our time to give the client something that's going to be useful? So, that sets apart a really good senior developer from a, just a junior or mid. Being able to go into a meeting and, for example, have the board of directors of a company telling you their grievances uh, with the software that they have and they want to rebuild it, you need to be able to take that and own it. You need to be able to, to make yourself a part of the solution you need to make yourself feel as a part of the team, and that you're not just working for a client that you're never gonna be seen again. you're working for someone that has an issue, then you have the skill set to be able to solve it for them, and you need and you need to be a good steward of that because in the end, they are hiring you to to do that they're hiring you to be able to solve the issue. In the most effective way, and that will make sure that they can go on to you know bigger business opportunities. Um, you might save people time, for example, like we don't we don't think a lot about one of the things that sets apart also being a good developer is that our work or effort, like we spend hundred plus hours. Work on a feature. But that time, if it was well directed towards the biggest issues of a client, it can save them weeks of work. Like for example, your 100 hours now saves 20 people, something that took them one week to complete, they can do it in five minutes now. So that type of things is some of the things that always amaze me of the things that we do. We create solutions out of thin air. That's that's why I I love being a a a software developer because we're in this role where we can create stuff and stuff we defy physics exactly like we can definitely make things faster and shorter for people and automate a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah. So there's this this saying in the United States that is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I think that same principle can be applied to our, our development processes. I think, a, to me, a senior developer is somebody that is really able to use that ounce of prevention, aka communication, with the client and really getting to the, the motivation of what they want out of the software, the motivation behind why they want this change. And if we can, we can really take advantage of that ounce of prevention, that communication and preparation before we start actually developing, we won't need uh, quite so much development time. But then I, one thing I see a lot of juniors do is they won't take advantage of that, that communication and like, asking questions of the, of the product owner, of the, the, the whoever is, is, uh, is running the, the product side. They won't take advantage of that time, and they might spend twice as long developing something, and maybe they're developing the wrong thing, or maybe they develop it in the wrong way that doesn't that doesn't uh, express what the client really wanted, and then it ends up being a pound of cure instead of uh, instead of much less.
1: Yeah, one of the biggest advices you can give a junior developer is to uh leave the hubris behind like. Uh, be humble. People are in the position of being a lead developer product owner because they walked a, p- a path that got them to that point. And one of the things that sets apart a senior from a junior developer, for example, is the amount of error messages they've solved in the past. Like, Yeah. Probably, like, but, have
0: they found Carlos yeah. Solorzano's famous wordy dirt exception yeah, message and do exactly. they know how to fix it?
1: Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So don't be afraid of ask, to ask for help. Um, do your due diligence first so that you don't come off across as being just, you know, a sucky developer that's always asking for help. Uh, do your due diligence and when you definitely cannot do anything about it or you don't know where to go, uh, ask for help. Ask for someone more experienced than you, and tell them about your issue and, and get some advice. It's a very
0: good point. Yeah, like do your do diligence first, uh, do your googling first. Make sure that you've you've overcome any obvious problems that you should have seen, and then and then yeah. After that, don't feel embarrassed to to reach out for help. That's very good advice. So there's another aspect of client management that is about preventing the client from shooting themselves in the foot like uh, we've we've both got a friend in in common Tommy Norman and he's always talking about uh, helping the client not to shoot themselves in the foot and he's like you you shouldn't shoot yourself in the foot and then the client's like but yeah I really want to shoot myself in the foot Mm -hmm. and and we as developers were like but you really shouldn't shoot yourselves in the foot and then blam there I shot myself in the foot ow, that really hurts well you shouldn't have shot yourself in the foot, and we as developers we we have a lot of knowledge and a lot of uh, a lot of preparation that helps us to know and recognize when somebody's about to shoot themselves in the foot how as as senior developers, how can we do a better job helping our clients understand not just that we're some some nerd screaming that the sci- the, the sky is falling but that we actually have something to say and and hey here's this this really great wisdom that you should listen to
1: i think it comes down to being able to talk to the client in business related uh, terms if you start talking all technical probably the 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 client is not going to be a very technical person if they're shooting yourself in the foot they might be going by something they heard, they might be going by their gut feeling, they might be going by a lot of things. So being able to talk to people at a level that transmits to them that you understand their business and you understand what they want to do, but they can see that you're trying to look out for their best interest. And, and you explain to them the risks, associated with what they want to do and how it could hurt them in the future. In the long run, I found out that that's one of the best things we can do is dial down the technicalities and talk to people like their are people and, and talk to them in their own language.
0: Yeah, that's, that's big advice. And I think it's important to remember our audience, you know, if we're talking to a bunch of developers, of course, lay it on them thick give them all the technical details because that's what they want but i've noticed and you probably noticed the same thing that that non-technical business people they don't really have time for all the little technical nitty-gritty details what they really want is to feel confident that you and i are going to solve their problem and they need just enough communication and information to help them build that confidence right or is it more that they that they need from us
1: yeah, they need to be sure that you're looking out for their best interest. They need to feel that. They need to feel that you're not just selling them snake oil, uh, just trying to close a deal and make some quick money. They need to make, they need to, you may, you need to make them feel like you're a partner to them, not just a another provider. Right, right. So let's turn our attention to,
0: us as developers and less about clients. So there's this thing about time management and I know that it's famous that that senior developers have this thing down called time management for some reason somehow we've just magically got this ability and, and maybe juniors are still working on this and it's kind of like one of the hallmarks of a senior developer is that you're excellent with time management. What does that
1: mean? Well, for me, being good at time management is being able to get done with the tough stuff first and the the things that are going to give you the better return of your time investment. Like, you could have 10 tasks and you can complete nine of them, but those nine that you completed, they were probably lower priority or they didn't solve a major issue that you just don't want to address right now because you're afraid of it, you don't know how to solve it, any any reason. So you could pat yourself in the back and tell yourself, hey, I finished nine of my ten tasks. But if you look at the results, you didn't accomplish a lot because the one task that you needed to, to complete was the one that you didn't. And that's when you start procrastinating. And that's where you start getting yourself, digging yourself into a very deep hole with delivering, uh, you know, a, a feature or something like that. Uh, so don't be afraid to tackle the, and it sounds like common sense, but we've all seen that sometimes we don't have common sense. So if you take your your if you take your tasks and what you need to do and you prioritize them on which ones are going to give you a better return of your time investment, like you're going to solve some big issue, start on those first. Uh, I really like this book by Brian Tracy. That's called Eat That Frog. One of the things that, It says is that imagine that every time, every day you wake up, the first thing you need to do after waking up is eating a live frog and swallowing a live. Yeah. Anything else that comes after that is going to seem like easy, super easy. So tackle your biggest issues first. Tackle those and eventually by doing this over and over again, you will start to be able to identify those and you'll be considered as a good time manager because you tackle your biggest issues first and then you have all the time to tackle the easier ones later and since they're easier you could finish them in a time frame that allows you to deliver consistently uh, upon you know with a good rate of delivery It's
0: time for you to take control. Hey, Byron here, coming at you from a different place and time to put a pause to this podcast and call attention to something really important. You've probably thought at times that it's really hard to get traction in your own learning and growth as a software developer. You should join the Dev Amplifier, the mastery growth system for software developers. In the Dev Amplifier, You'll receive weekly coaching and quests and assessments and check-ins, all designed to help you grow from whatever level you're at as a software developer to the next level and amplify your career. It's only $83 a month, so stop everything else that you're doing right now, pause this podcast, and head over to my website to sign up for the Dev Amplifier right now. It'll be the best decision you make all day. Now let's get back to the Driven Developer Podcast. So what do you think about this concept of T-shaped developers, where, where you've got like a wide breadth of, of knowledge, but then
1: you're, you've got a specialization where you're trying to go really deep? Yeah. So I think nowadays it's critical that we know a little bit about, not just our specific stack, we should also know about DevOps infrastructure as a code, at least a general overview of it, because we're no longer working on the same environment like you and I grew up, Byron, where we had you know, mainframe computers and everything was in-house. Now with the cloud, the cloud computing, you need to be able to interact in this environment and you need to be able to talk about it and and you need to be able to deploy your code to some of these these places, you might have a team dedicated to that. Mm-hmm. But if you knew something about it, you could talk to that team and have a better interaction, get through issues faster.
0: Right. These, these days we can't get by with just, uh, with just a little bit of, or one section of knowledge. We can't just have a specialization. We've also got to have... Our hands and a lot of other things. I mean, like especially with web programming, which is one of the most prevalent forms right now. You've got to be a front end developer, even even if you are primarily in the back end. You've got to be able to program. You've got to be able to be effective in React or Vue or, or Angular, and you're, you've got to be able to work in the back end. And so, if you're a front end developer, maybe your specialization is in front end. You've also got to be able to work in the back, or else you're going to get stuck and you're going to, you're going to be less effective as a developer. You've you've even got to have some database chops. Like you can't get by with just, with, with just being able to do select statements. You've got to be able to, to go beyond that. Right?
1: Yeah, you should be, uh, and that will make you more marketable. That will make you a more rounded developer all around. And it will also help you solve issues faster. Because now you have knowledge about other segments of the pipeline, and you can say, hey, maybe the error is not here. The error might be somewhere else. Maybe it's not my code. Maybe it's an environment variable, or something's going on with the database. And being able to identify that fast depends on the amount of knowledge that you have.
0: Right. And so, right now, somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, so they're telling me to be a jack of all trades, but that's not really what we're talking
1: about, is it? No, you can still have your specialization, but be open-minded enough to be able to, I don't know if open-minded is the right word, but be able to go in and just, you know, take a general course, a general knowledge course on DevOps. At least expand your knowledge. Yeah, expand your knowledge, at least know. Uh, a little bit about the platform. You can be in AWS, you can be in Azure, you can be in Google Cloud, uh, at least know a little bit about them. That way you can be a more effective uh, developer all around.
0: Right, so uh, let's talk about like projects more in, more specifically in, in that realm, as far as like being a T-shaped developer in our, in our project. Let's say my specialty is backend or my specialty is front end. And I don't necessarily know a lot about DevOps, uh, or, or with deployments or continuous delivery. So what's some advice that you could give to a junior developer who's in that same boat and and wants to try to learn more about those other aspects of a project they're working on right now?
1: I will tell them to try and build, for example, part of that backend as a serverless function, as a microservice that will Get you off the whole. Uh, I'm using this backend technology, uh, Nest Node or .NET Core. Into I need to host this function in AWS somewhere and mm. or Azure function somewhere, and and be able to call it. Do that on on your own environment and on your own account, and see where you fail because you. Will probably fail if you don't have any formal education, and in those places where you fail, you can go and probably ask someone that knows a lot more. Hey, how come I fail at this? Or it might spark some interest in you, and you might go and study some of that. Um, I'm guess I'm I guess this would be my 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 way to go. Like that would be the way I would do it
0: yeah and i would add to that that uh maybe you can if you have a person that's designated as like the devops person on your project maybe you could even like spend some time with them and give let them give you a tour of how how their position their job job position or title or whatever impacts your project so they might take you into some of the some of the build scripts and explain to you how this or that works yeah and then you might be thinking, okay, wow, now, now I understand how, how my, my TypeScript code in the front end ends up being deployed to Amazon S3. And so, uh, yeah, I, I would reach out to other teammates if it's not DevOps. Maybe it's your database is your, your very weak spot. Maybe you have no clue how to optimize a query or you have no clue how to do a complicated join or an aggregate. And so you, you might reach out to your DBA in your company or on your team and let them explain to you how, how they help you be more successful. Yeah. Correct. So Carlos, what do you wish developers would just get better at?
1: Refactory. Tell me about that. Like sometimes you build a function. It just works, but you don't clean it up. And mm. then you do that one too many times. And all of a sudden, you have a very big code base that's unmaintainable, and you probably have copy and paste code all over the place. Uh, and if you took the time to do refactoring and do it correctly, it will make your life so much easier and the life of the people that are doing the code reviews for you so much easier. Uh, and just overall, you, your code will be a better quality. So you mentioned
0: unmaintainable, and I think maintainability or unmaintainability is kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a cloudy word for some, it's hard to, hard to get your mind around. What does it mean to be unmaintainable? So what is your definition?
1: So my definition of, of unmaintainable is when you modify a feature and all of a sudden because of the way things were copy and pasted, or the way things were tied up, you make a bug or a hole in another place of the code, and you start working in this you know fireman way where you're just you know patching up fires or or you're you're putting out different fires that you're starting yourself because. Your code was built in such a way that it's really, really difficult to dedicate time to your actual features that you're working on. So, code—you make code,
0: code. So you make a change in one place, and it breaks things in other parts of your code. Yeah, exactly. Probably also makes things pretty difficult for other developers. So, or even yourself six months from now to be able to come back to some code that is, is uh, not, not written with care, and, and that probably causes a problem for other developers too. I've, I've sensed that as, as part of uh, unmaintainability also.
1: Definitely. And uh, refactoring takes a lo- care of a lot of that part, of, of that issues. So have you ever heard of the Boy Scout rule? Uh, I think I have, but don't ask me to tell it right now. I don't know if (laughs) I are. Well, I was a Boy Scout. I I doubt you were a Boy Scout. I was a chubby kid. I didn't want to go, you know, (laughs) walking around the woods. You don't want to go camping? Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, okay, so the Boy Scout rule is um, leave things better than you found them. So whenever we would go out into the woods camping, we were supposed to find some way to leave the campsite better than the way we found it, which is... Which is way better than than leaving it worse because typically, like us as kids, we would go camping and we'd leave our candy wrappers everywhere, and we would leave things broken, and we would um, just, you know, it, 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 we leave, we would if we if we're left to our own devices, we would not leave things better or even equal. We would leave things worse. That's just human nature. That's that's how we normally do things. And so, the Boy Scout rule in in computing or software development is trying to do the same thing because just left to our own devices, we developers are messy. We're just regular human beings and we are messy people and we're going to leave things in a worse state than we found them. And so the boy scout rule just means, Hey, leave that code a little better in some way, any way at all, a little better than the way you found it. And it's hard to, and it goes back to refactoring. Like you said, this is something that we as developers, just in general, need to get better at, is leaving things better than the way we found them. Refactoring, not like huge, major refactoring uh, processes that take months or weeks to complete. Not not the kind of refactoring that project managers hate because they, it throws the whole timetable off. Just refactoring that is uh, small little bits along the way so yeah. that we don't create massive messes. Yeah,
1: refactor as you go, like. Be able to do that consistently, and eventually, you will never need one of those major refactors. Exactly. So if if you could give one piece of advice to the world's junior developers, what would it be? To fail fast. Don't be afraid to test Mm -hmm. stuff. Because a lot of developers, they're afraid to write a line of code and, 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 and have it fail. Like, I don't know why. It's so, not like the computer going to explode or kill you. It's try, try something. Try write that line of code that you're not sure of. And if it fails, it fails. And now you know that that didn't work. Or maybe it didn't fail, but it didn't give you the solution that you wanted. So uh, if you do that consistently, you will get better at it, and you will have seen a lot more error messages. So you will improve uh, way faster than the guys that, just try to get a perfect solution on the first try. Have you ever thought about applying the fail fast principle to
0: actually writing a function? Yeah. How do you think that could be applied to writing a function?
1: You can use uh, TDD to do that.
0: Hey, tell me about that.
1: What is this thing TDD? TDD is test-driven development. That's when you write a test for code that doesn't exist yet but you know what the code should do so you write a test and then you write the code and you make it fail on purpose because why you want would you to do
0: that that seems i mean i understand fail fast but fail on
1: purpose it, you do that because that way you are making sure that you can also know when the code is failing and it's failing for the right reasons not just because you forgot a semicolon somewhere and (laughs) yeah and then you make your test pass you modify your code to make your test pass with the least amount of effort like you just write enough code to have the test pass and when you have a lot of tests, one on top of the other, then you will eventually have uh, a very com- you can have very complex functions that are built by small blocks at a time. And that if you try to build it on, from the onset, due to its complexity, you will probably lose more time going over many, many iterations of that function then doing it by gtd, where you add a small piece of the, of the complexity at a time, and that's and at the end you have like uh, two benefits: your function is working as it should, and now you have a test suite that will all you can all, you can run at any moment to see if any changes you've introduced in your code in the future have broken anything in your functions, and being able to have that at the development level and not wait for a QA to find your problem down the road makes you a better developer. Yeah,
0: yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um and another way that we can help help our functions to fail faster or just our code in general is and I don't know if this is like a a a an established senior developer principle but like I like to have my functions actually uh, fail fast in that if I can discover that there's an, an exception or, or a reason to, to exit early or whatever, I'll put that at the top of my function. Like I actually want my function itself to fail fast. I don't want it to, to keep on executing if there's, if there's something that, that happened that wasn't supposed to happen. Or some input was was missing, or whatever. So as soon as I find a reason to fail, boom! I send it right out. Yeah. So Carlos, tell me about some things that you see really great developers doing. What are their hallmarks or their 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 milestones that they've passed or their behaviors? What are what are things that great developers
1: do? One of the things that I've seen very good developers do is that they ask for clarifications. They're not afraid to go back and ask for a, a for someone to, to explain to them something if they don't really understand it. That uh they just don't assume. They don't assume anything. Like they try to get a real clear picture of what it is the work that they're gonna be doing and what is expected of it.
0: Yeah, I've actually seen that in motion, man, when when there's like a grooming meeting and you've got some developers and maybe a business analyst product owner just a, a big mix of people and and we're talking about this feature that we're going to build and if you've got a junior developer and you've got a senior developer or just at least more senior i nine times 99 times out of 100 i would bet you that the junior is going to stay completely silent and when asked does is everything clear they're going to say yes yeah And the more experienced developer is actually going to find a way to ask a question, to clarify, to dig in, to, to get more, more, uh, more context about the problem that they're solving. And you, it seems counterintuitive. Like you'd think that the person asking questions is asking questions because they, they're, they're not, they're not smart enough. They are uh, maybe incompetent in some way, but in fact it's, and I don't want to say that junior developers are incompetent, but it's like it's 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 the reverse because if you don't ask questions, it doesn't help at all to reveal that you really do care or that you understand what's going on.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, that's one of the things I see them. Uh, another thing that I see really good developers do is um, ask for feedback, like they they relish code reviews. Like they want to be able Mm -hmm. to have their code reviewed by a peer and not like have them be correct. Like have not, they shouldn't be able to find anything wrong with it. And they like to do code reviews too. They like to review code of other people.
0: Yeah. I I agree with that. I, I can say that it seems like not, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that I would say that I enjoy doing. But I actually do enjoy sitting down and reading code. It's weird. Uh, you'd think I would be reading novels and and other interesting things. But seriously, if you could put a code review into an audiobook so that I could listen to while I'm driving down the road, I would totally buy that audiobook. Wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, definitely. Me too. <laughs>
0: we're, we're so we're weirdos. Yeah, we're such nerds. <laughs> well, hey, Carlos. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, I really appreciate your, uh, your time spending with us. You got a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of wisdom that is, has been uh, battle-tested and, uh, and, and proven through the ages. Um, I really appreciate you sharing that knowledge and wisdom with our audience today. So Carlos, tell us a little bit about how we can reach you and where you work and, and, and what we can do to support you and what
1: you're trying to do. Well, I work at Ackland Avenue. I'm the director of technology at Ackland Avenue, and you can join me in Ackland Avenue's career community in Facebook. I'm there as well as other guys of the company. And hey, we're always hiring. We're always looking for good people for good developers, designers, EMs, you know, Scrum masters, the whole lot about Agile. Uh, and you can find me there, and uh, you can visit also uh, com to see what we're all about.
0: Yeah, and I think you can actually apply for a job at aclandavenue.com slash jobs. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks again, Carlos. Appreciate your time, and uh,
1: we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us today on the Driven Developer Podcast. I'm your host, Byron Somerdahl. This podcast is for you. It's all about trying to help you become what the world needs you to be, a driven developer. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with others or comment down below. If you'd like to follow me or this podcast, just look us up on facebook.com slash driven developer, and we'll see you next time.